This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. California's Department of Health has issued its guidelines for houses of worship as they reopen. Under their guidance, only 25% of the capacity of churches, mosques, synagogues, and temples, or a max of 100 people, whichever is lower, will be allowed to meet. In addition, they noted physical distancing, wearing masks, and frequent hand washing as other key prevention practices. But potentially the most challenging is their advice around worship. Strongly consider discontinuing singing, group recitation, and other practices and performances where there is an increased likelihood for transmission from contaminated, exhaled droplets, the report warned. In another section, it noted, activities such as singing and group recitation negate the risk reduction achieved through six feet of physical distancing. As churches begin to reopen across the U.S., many will likely look and sound the same as California's congregations. And we wanted to discuss what we love about congregational worship and what its absence from Sunday services may mean over the coming months. Today is Wednesday, May 27th, and you're listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, digital media producer here at Christianity Today. And I'm Ted Olson. I'm editorial director here at Christianity Today. Ted, this kind of hits home for both you and me a lot. So I really want to hear your take on this. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I've mentioned, I think on a previous pod, I'm on the vestry of my church, which uh, or the the board uh, of my church. And so we have been talking a lot about, you know, what to do with reopening. Illinois is, of course, one of the states that has been kind of slower on the reopening and in our mind kind of rightly. And, you know, we've, we've been trying to figure this out. I will say on singing, you know, it's, it's been, that's been a challenge for us since the beginning of, of going remote. We have a, a fantastic worship leader, but leading worship in a way that is not purely performative, knowing, you know, how to participate in that. Do you, do you sing along for every song? You know, like for us, we, we do a lot of standing and sitting with my kids just trying to figure out like, do we really, are we going to stand for every time we're supposed to stand? Are we going to kneel here in the living room? It's been tricky. And then, you know, we had all these, the first few weeks, we had all these technical glitches where it was really hard to hear the worship leader leading the instrumentation and and singing just kind of over, you know, over, overpowered the system. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's been tricky, but we've gotten into the rhythm of things where, you know, you just, have to get into the mindset of, yes, it's on a screen, but there's a live aspect. It helps that I'm in a family with, with, with three other people. So there is a, you know, two or, <laughs> two or three or four singing together. And that's one thing that my church decided early. We, we, we decided if we can't be together in the same space, we will be together in the same time. So we've avoided, you know, recorded worship or recorded sermons. And that, I think, also kind of contributes to that idea that, that we are all singing together if we're not singing literally in the same the same building we will see, we'll see where we go from here how about how about you Morgan? I, Ted I think some of the genesis for actually deciding to talk about singing on the podcast this week partially came out of a conversation I had with my pastor who came over to my house the backyard FYI last night and we he basically asked at one point is there a point of meeting in person if we can't sing together I was just thinking about that. Like what exactly makes a church service a church service? And I guess it didn't necessarily innately occur to me that singing was what made a church service a church service. But I feel like the more I thought about it, it did seem like this was something that is definitely huge, right? Like the music that we sing at church is also its own like com- its own commercial industry. <laughs> and when you and I chatted this morning, I was like, this is why people buy the often scorned fog machines, for instance, or how I also mentioned this, that you might be able to get more representation up on the stage if you're a church that doesn't have female pastors. Maybe you have more women who are singing up there or you have more diversity up there. There's also just beautiful ways to kind of like pass 
the time of the church calendar through the music that is sung. And I think someplace like Christmas would show that most intensely, but it definitely shows up in other types of music as well. So there's a whole way that the values of the church are expressed and made manifest through music. So that does make me think, well, what is going to be lost when we can't actually sing together? I do not know exactly if not singing together also precludes something like a solo, for instance. It's definitely going to have a huge deal. And then I also just think of churches that use choirs all the time, right? And how many headlines we've seen of particular church choir settings, whether it's rehearsal or church services that seem to be tied with mass amounts of spreading COVID-19. So there's just lots to unpack there. And it does feel really sad. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me ask you, do, do you guys have like a mid a midweek service with or anything like, do you guys have any services that don't have music? We do like a morning prayer and an evening prayer midweek. And for us, it it has a lot of psalms, but we generally don't don't sing. And I think that's helped to kind of inform a little bit of the way that we're going into the future. I think we're we're still going to have a lot of singing. I think the fact that we do have a congregation meeting and worshiping together without singing is making it maybe a, a little less apprehensive than we might otherwise be. Nothing that we have that's equivalent in terms of a midweek thing, but twice a month, our services are over dinner. And then the only thing that we sing there is the Lord's Prayer. There is something that has minimal amounts of singing that it won't be felt as strongly in those situations. All right. Well, who is our guest for today? Thrilled to have uh, Glenn Packiam to get with us today on the podcast. He is Associate Senior Pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, the lead pastor of New Life Downtown. He has written a whole lot of books, including several on worship. His latest one is, is on worship. It's called Worship and the World to Come, Exploring Christian Hope and Contemporary Worship. He's a regular contributor to Christianity Today, especially CT Pastors. And he was one of the founding leaders of Desperation Band. You probably know a bunch of his songs that he wrote or co-wrote, including Your Name. And we are glad that he was able to join us today for this on this shorter shorter week. So thanks, Glenn, for com- coming aboard. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Morgan. Great to be on with you guys. All right. So, Glenn, maybe you can tell us a little bit how your church has handled worship during the pandemic. <laughs> Well, New Life Church is is a worshiping church in in the sense specifically in terms of singing and music. Our church has been through quite a, a bit of troubles and trials over the years. Late 2006 uh, was a pretty public moral failure of the founding senior pastor. And, and then 13 months after that, there was a, a shooting that occurred on our campus and two teenagers lost their lives that day. And I can think in, in both of those moments, both of those moments of crisis, what we did when we came back together was sing. And we sang with tears, we sang with joy, we sang with solidarity. So we're a church that is well-practiced in worshiping through difficult times. And so during this pandemic, I think the thing that's been the most challenging is that we can't all be in the same room. And of course, this is the, this is the, the pain of every church all around the world. But one of the decisions we made early on is to say, you know what, let's let our worship team continue to lead with strength. And so we're, we're a church now that's made up of seven different congregations that are throughout the city, one in, one in Spanish, one in Mandarin, and five in English. And it's unlike unlike campuses, there are no shared video elements. There every 100% of every service at every congregation is live and contextualized to their people, to their neighborhoods, to, you know, sometimes the, the liturgy of the services are a little different. The one where I lead has quite a bit more liturgical elements. And so when we made this decision about what to do as, you know, churches were, were not able to gather anymore, we said, let's do one shared service together. Let's make, let's make it a, a kind of a statement of solidarity. And we had our worship teams kind of strengthen up their, you know, the, the teams that were scattered at the different congregations. And so we did actually do the pre-recorded thing where we recorded it a few days before, mostly so that our brilliant crew could kind of edit stuff down, you know, very aware that people are listening along on phones and computers and TV speakers. And so trying to say, okay, how do we now make sure that this is going to, this is going to come across in the best way. And of course it's awkward, you know, recording this into a camera and into an empty room and all of that. But we, we really encourage people to, to sing along, to stand where possible, to lift their hands, to clap. And so I would say enthusiasm was high in the early weeks. And like many other churches over the last several weeks, it's, it's probably waned a little bit where we're all getting a little tired of, of a gathering in a living room in front of a TV or a screen, but we're trying to, we're trying to keep singing along. So I'm curious, Glenn, what type of feedback have you heard from people who are attending these live streams at their house about how they are participating in the worship part? 
initially when the guidelines allowed for this, people had friends and neighbors. We had some neighbors with us. And then very quickly, those guidelines changed and then it was limited to just whoever was in your household. So after a few weeks of that, we we did something that we don't really do a lot of, which is we did a survey to our, our people. We just wanted to know, A, how are you doing emotionally, anxiety level, financially, what do you need from the church? Uh, how many people are, are watching with you on average? And most people said, yeah, two or three others in my household, you know, it could have been, a, you know, an apartment with some roommates, could have been a, you know, family unit. And so they were watching along and they said out of all the things that we had done for them and there were phone calls and we called every household in our church, there's been some driveway celebrations, you know, where the kids ministry team has showed up on driveways with balloons and signs. There's been grocery deliveries. There's been all kinds of things, but they said the thing that has been the greatest strength to them during this quarantine has been the ability to join in on weekend services. You know, some of that is aided by Facebook watch parties where you're kind of chatting with people real time as the service is going on. It's kind of weird, but you know, you do what you have to. Uh, we've also done use Zoom as like a digital lobby. So after the service, we're like, okay, let's all hop on Zoom and let's talk to each other. Let's pray for one another. So we're trying to have real-time connection as opposed to just content distribution. That makes a lot of sense. I, I'm curious if you can talk about what exactly makes corporate singing together so special. You mentioned that it was a huge place of refuge for your church as it endured some really traumatic times in many ways. And I'm curious why singing versus praying versus, I'm not saying it was either or, I'm just curious, a praying versus a sermon. Yeah, what exactly made music yeah, it is an interesting thing, isn't it, in the Christian tradition, just the role that music has. And you think about how strange it is from a societal standpoint. I mean, when else do large groups of people get together and sing? Maybe at a rock concert if they know the words of the of the song, or maybe at the seventh inning stretch at a baseball game, which who knows when that will come back, uh, you know, either. But, but singing together is something Christians have done from the very beginning, and it's because it's what the ancient Israelites did, Book of Psalms. And so there is something about articulating our emotional state and using music, using song as a means of expressing ourselves before the Lord. So that's deep in Christian tradition from singing and praying the Psalms to early hymns in the New Testament that you find in Luke's gospel and you find peppered through Paul's letters, possibly that they're hymns. And then the reputation that early Christians get where Pliny's letter to the Emperor Trajan, where he says these strange Christians get together before sunrise and they sing these hymns to Christ as if to a God. Of course, the stories in the book of Acts, even before that, of Paul and Silas singing in a prison cell, there's something about song that helps us express more than just what the words of the song are saying. You also have written about how worship is not just expressive, it's also formative. It's, it's, the, it's one of the key ways that the church forms, instructs, teaches, and shapes the people who come, either week after week or even, even occasionally. I'm just trying to figure out if we have to scale back singing and I'm, and I'm just curious also how, I don't know, I don't know how much you guys do, you know, full congregational or if you guys have kind of what we used to be called in churches, special music, but, you know, kind of the more music where the congregation does not join in. I'm curious about how those different forms of music in a congregation shape the congregation differently. Well, you're absolutely right. Everything we do when we gather together in worship, and this goes beyond music, this goes to the preaching, the practices like coming to the Lord's table. Everything we do when we gather together is not just expressive, it's also formative. And I have often argued there's a third dimension to this. They're also missional. So the, the, the church gathering is shaped by three paradigms, mission, formation, and encounter. I like the term encounter a little better than expression because expression makes it seem like it's a one-way street, that we're sort of expressing our hearts to God. But what we see in the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is a kind of dialogical relationship with God where there's a back and forthness to it. And so even in the Psalms, you have occasion occasions where God is sort of talking back to the psalmist, you know, because he loves me, I will protect him, Psalm 91. You know, there's sort of this back and forth thing. So if we think of those three paradigms of, of mission, where we're conscious that our gathering together is for the sake of the world, and we're going to be sent back out into the world, and if we think of the paradigm of formation, that everything we say and sing and do together is discipling us, is, is forming us. And if we think of it as encounter, it's a way that we experience the presence of God through the Holy Spirit uh, when we gather together. I think that's helpful in, in helping us think beyond 
maybe even categories of music, whether it's presentational or congregational. I think there's room for all of that so long as we can kind of hold these paradigms in tension. My experience and even my, a bit of my academic work in studying some of this is that churches tend to favor one paradigm over the other. So they say, well, we're going to decide all of our practices based on the lens of formation. Well, that's good. That's helpful. But what about the lens of mission? Or, you know, other churches might say, well, this is all about an encounter with God. And then we can kind of tip over into being tempted to manipulate experiences that feel like an encounter just so people can feel like they've had one. So there, there, there's definitely pitfalls in each of those three paradigms if we overemphasize one to the exclusion of the other. But I think my my proposal is for churches to think very deeply about holding all three of those paradigms in a kind of generative tension so that all of our decisions about practices when we gather as the church help us be formed as followers of Jesus, help us encounter the risen Christ, and help us uh, be ready to be sent back out in the world. So, so tell me about how that would all work in a coronavirus era. I mean, uh, like what I'm curious, are you guys, I mean, just tell me how are you guys doing all congregational? Are you guys doing like how, you know, knowing that most people are encountering this with video, what is it that you guys are doing music wise? We, we are choosing to go pretty much exclusively congregational type of songs. So I don't think there's been a moment yet where a song has been one that you would listen to, you know, presentation. Although, Morgan, what you said earlier about, you know, that being a possibility for churches that can't have congregational singing, that certainly would be a way to do that, to say, hey, just listen to this, let this kind of minister to you. You know, one exception is a song we did recently. So in addition to our weekend services, we've been also doing a Wednesday midweek kind of worship and prayer service that is live and that is being streamed live. And there was a moment where, you know, the song that's been kind of making the rounds around the world, the the, the blessing, several friends in the UK that did a, a version of it that went totally viral, strange word to use now. Um, but that song, The Blessing, is a great example of a song that you say, let this just sort of wash over you, let this be a pronouncement over you, rather than singing along. But I would say 99% of what we've done has been inviting participation from people wherever they are. I'm really curious, Glenn, when you go back to your days of Desperation Band, when you guys were thinking about what you were trying to, I don't know what the right word is, maybe accomplish there, you had talked a couple minutes ago about discipleship being something that happens through worship, but obviously for people who didn't hear it because this was off the off the recording when you said, oh, I wrote this song, your name, and I was like, oh, wow, you wrote your name, right? I had a reaction to that. So I did not go to your church growing up at all. I've never been to your church, but I knew that song, right? And so there was a certain sense that the music played an outsized role of what your church was or the worship experience, maybe. How much did you think about worship being some sort of, I, I'm, this is so crass, but like recruitment tool or way to get people in the door or excited, you know, a way for people to invite their friends? I'm not exactly sure, but clearly there's like a worship music industry now. There's worship nights and so forth. There, there absolutely is. And there's, man, there's good, bad and ugly that comes with all of that. We, we never thought of the recordings or the albums or any of that as like a way to grow the church or a way to attract people. You know, it's interesting that there's been some great historical work done on this as well. Lester Ruth at Duke University and Duke Divinity and, and among others who have, who've sort of said actually with contemporary worship music, you have two root systems. One that is more on the seeker side that was always using modern worship to recruit, to attract, and one that was more from the latter rain movement, which would quote scriptures like Psalm 22, 3 that says God dwells or is enthroned in the praises of his people. And and so that paradigm was always about encounter. And New Life as a, you know, evangelical charismatic church, we've always tended toward that paradigm where we've said these songs are meant to facilitate an encounter with God. And so, yeah, in a sense, you're saying, come on, open up the doors. We want others to experience this as well. And we want the songs to travel beyond these walls so that people can have, you know, these sorts of en encounters or experiences with God. Where we needed to grow over the last 10 or 15 years was in adding other paradigms, you know, the ones that I've named. We've learned a lot over the last 10 or 15 years about formation as an important paradigm. And that's why as a church, we've, you know, a, a weekly practice of coming to the Lord's table and saying confessions, uh, confessions like the prayer confession together or the Nicene Creed together, marking the the church calendar, all of that sort of stuff, some of which we still can't do in this moment. I mean, communion, talk about another practice that we're aching for. Um, but yeah, as far as the songs go, I think there is a sense in which songs, because they can travel beyond a specific moment, 
have the ability almost to remind us of key memories. I mean, there's a lot of science about music and memory and how songs transport us to moments. Well, think about that with a spiritual or pastoral dimension here where you have a particular moment with the Lord, with a song. That song becomes like a milestone, a memorial stone, like like the, like the people of Israel did in the book of Joshua. And, and those songs become memorial stones of moments. For us, uh, you know, one of our songs, Overcome, written by my dear friend John Egan, the worship pastor here. That was a song that we sang the Wednesday night we gathered after the shooting. That's a song that will ever and always you know, bring back memories of God's faithfulness to us in the midst of difficult moments. So what would you say then to church leaders who do worry, though, that even after churches do end up reopening, if people aren't able to sing and for church leaders who are saying like, well, I don't know if people are going to come back to our church or might not see a point or just have fears around that. You know, it's so important to walk in unity with your local public health officials. And we have, that's been our practice from the beginning here. In fact, one of our, one of the, our county's public health officials tends our congregation and I'll, I'll protect the identity a bit by not saying what their role is, but, but they, so we've been in conversations with them from the beginning because you can't say you love your neighbor and you can't say you love your community and then disregard their guidelines when it comes to this stuff. So I do know we're getting better, you know, having the converse, a conversation that's nuanced to each region and location and, and infection rates and all of that. And I know one of the things I've learned in the process of dialogue with, with our local public health officials is that infection is all about this formula of exposure times time. And so sometimes in some counties, it may not be no singing. It may be a reduced amount of time of singing. So you might be able to do one song here and then, you know, uh, some exhortation or scripture reading, and then another song. So you might be able to space things out. We're all doing shorter services, even online. And and when we do regather, our hope is to be able to have a shortened service with some singing. And for those who are discouraged about it, I would say there is still something about co-presence, about bodily co-presence in a space that is special. And and okay, so even from a sociological standpoint, there was a sociologist named Randall Collins who some years ago wrote about emotional energy. And he talked about emotional energy as this sort of feeling of confidence, courage to take action, boldness. And, and, and he, you know, and this is a secular sociologist here saying that humans are kind of seekers of emotional energy and we need that. That's why we want co-presence with other human beings. That's what we're longing for in this quarantine season. And other researchers from the University of Washington have said, well, maybe what Collins is calling emotional energy is actually chemical known as oxytocin. It's chemical associated with the sense of well-being and the experiences of love and calmness and trust and all of the social bonds, if you will. In a, in a season where we can't have physical touch or a lot of physical touch, which is one of the ways oxytocin levels you know, increase, perhaps we can have a few moments of song because they, they discovered, these researchers at the University of Washington, that actually when people sing, they're oxytocin levels rise. So it's amazing, even from a human biological perspective, that there's something about this. So even if we can't do that in the same room with one another, I'm thinking about my family, you know, joining in some Disney sing-alongs on TV and all of that. There's something about it where even if we save the singing portion for a midweek thing online only, but our gathered co-presence, there's still something there that is special and that does happen when the people of God can be together. I'm interested in how much some of that thinking, you know, does go into worship planning. I mean, you know, I'm on the soundboard, you know, or I was before all this happened. You know, I my main awareness is how much I can really like ruin the vibe of a service by doing, you know, the soundboard poorly, getting some, you know, terrible feedback or or you know, missing some some key cues. But I know, you know, that you know, a lot of the worship pastors I know, they're highly aware of the you know some of the what you talked about the sociological and psychological aspects of, of that music can play, and they're eager to use it, but they're also keenly aware. They're very nervous about you know manipulating, and I'm interested both in how how you think about that, and also how if that has changed during coronavirus and, and thinking through like people were in a <laughs> people were in a, a a different emotional state and yes we do and and there is an aspect where we can use music we can use all, corporate worship and you know preaching all, you know reading of the word all these things to change their kind of emotional state but not wanting to you know just just be like Sven Gali pulling levers behind the scenes so how 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 do you think about that as someone who's thought 
deeply about like the power of worship music to affect emotion. That's exactly it, Ted. It's a power. And all power has to be stewarded carefully. I think this, the New Testament shows us that A, power looks like the crucified Son of God. It looks like Jesus, you know, saying in John 13, knowing that everything had been entrusted to him, he began to wash their feet. So any power has to be used in service, not in a coercive way. And that includes the power of music and the power of, of singing, the power of preaching, uh, the power to provoke emotions. So we do have to think carefully about that, that are we coercing people to feel a particular way or are we meeting them, giving them permission to be where they are and yet also gently, delicately taking them by the hand and leading them to see a different horizon? Because the, the worship leader's job, in fact, the, the preacher's job, all of our all of our roles when we minister in, the, in a worship service is to do both, is to meet people where they are and to show them that God is present even in the moment of their grief or sadness or confusion or, or the inarticulate stage of their lament, and to lift their eyes just a little bit higher and to say, okay, well, there's something else beyond this. And this is why my, my research on, on hope, on Christian hope and contemporary worship, I think has, has come to mind so much during the season because I have realized that, that actually we don't have enough songs, or I should say, we don't have enough popular Christian worship songs that point us to a further horizon, that point us to the ultimate hope, that, that point us in the way that the creed does, that says we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So there is a way that we can inspire hope without being manipulative, but the, it's the gentle tool of the artist. You know, I mean, you, you know, a good movie where the director is just trying to pu push all your buttons and tug the heartstrings. And, you know, uh, uh, sorry, a poor director doing that, a poor movie that's doing that, or a good one where they lead you gently and you end up feeling all the feels but in the right way and in a way that doesn't feel coercive. I, I think worship leading and preaching is very much like that. Can we, uh, can we detour down that a little bit? I am curious about that, just as, as you thought about hope in contemporary worship. It does seem that there's something significant going on. I, I'm curious about what you are hoping to see versus, hope, hoping to see, what you're hoping to see versus, you know, I think about a lot of the songs that I heard growing up that because you know, I'm in churches with slightly different theologies now, or I think just kind of like the theological winds have changed in our movement. Songs about a future hope in heaven, particularly, I think, a non-kingdom on earth heaven. There was a lot of that growing up. I, it's been rare. It's been a long time since I've heard a song like, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Or a number of these kinds of, you know, just heaven-bound type type songs. What What's the counter trend that, you're, that you are seeing or that you're hoping to see that is like, this is the hope that I'm eager to hear more songs singing about? In order to do my research on hope, I had to construct a model for hope. What, what is this thing we're talking about? And there's several pieces we could talk about. There's a sense of agency. There's a sense of a pathway or a plan. But, but two of the things that really show up, particularly in a Christian theology of hope, is space and time. In a very real way, early on, say in the 1800s or 18th century, even 1700s, you have a lot of hymns that had a sense of futurity, a sense of a futureness to time, but not a sense of materiality, where, like you said, Ted, it's not of this world. It's, it's I'm just a passing through and, you know, all of that. There's one part of me that wants to be critical of that because, hey, wait a minute, what about, you know, Revelation 21, the presence of God is coming down, we're not going up, that's the end of the story. But at least now looking at it, I think, well, at least they had the time dimension right, it was in the future. The sad trajectory is that for contemporary worship, we've lost a sense of futurity as well as a sense of materiality. So everything is a sort of disembodied existential experience in the moment moment in the here and now. That to me is even more troubling. So so in the songs that I studied, so the, the, the research design was, was basically songs that worship leaders, about a thousand worship leaders said were songs of hope. And I analyzed the, the lyrics of those songs. And then I did in-depth field work with two churches that sang uh, songs like that or that sang contemporary worship songs. Now, I'll kind of give the, let the cat out of the bag a little bit that, that you know, when you're studying something like a, a, a ritual, and I know we don't like to call this a ritual, but but that's what it is. You know, it's what we do when we get together. You, you have to look at not only the text of the ritual, but also the performance of the ritual, because those are two different things. Okay, so there's bad, the, the, the nutshell sort of elevator version is bad news when we just look at the text of our ritual. These lyrics are not the vision of hope they should be. 
okay? But there's good news on the performance of the ritual. There's still something that happens when the people of God gather together and sing these songs that goes beyond the the words themselves. And we can talk about why and the theology of the Spirit and all of that, but, but that's one of the reasons why, to Morgan's question, I said, I do think we should still gather even if we can't sing, because who knows how the Holy Spirit, who is very capable of adapting to unique crises and, and situations, who knows what the Holy Spirit will do when we are uh, in the room together six feet apart. But going back to the song lyric thing real quick, it, it is true, Ted, uh, that many of the songs that worship leaders say are songs of hope and not only lack a kind of materiality or an embodied uh, sense to it, but they also lack a sense of time and future dimension to it. So where we once, I mean, think of these old hymns that used to have a, a final stanza that was a when we've been there, you know, kind of verse or one day when I'm stand before your throne, you know, that at least had four or five verses that led us down a, a journey through time. And now most of the songs drop you into a moment already in progress and the song stays in that moment. And that's a bit concerning. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and they're, and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But hey, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. Bringing this back to the coronavirus era, I mean, where would you like to see more music push in a hopeful way, is it someday, you know, we will, you know, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, you know, sickness will be, will be gone. Is it, you know, where's that present hope of, of uh, God is with us in our sorrows versus like, there will be a day where there, where we don't even have to have to deal with sickness. How much of it is Jesus is healer now? How much, or do you, are you looking for songs that incorporate both of those things? Or are you like, we got we got a lot of the Jesus healer now right now. What we need is a reminder that that someday we won't have have pandemics. Yeah, that's it. We have a lot of the God with us songs. And and thankfully, I mean, okay, so I can I can rag on my own tradition a little bit. One of the gifts of the charismatic Pentecostal sort of stream over the last hundred years or so is this conviction that, hey, God's actually here and God's actually at work even now. And that's a wonderful thing. That one of the dangers or the pitfalls of that stream has been that we have been accused of having an overly inaugurated eschatology, to say it theologically. We, we don't have anything left of the kingdom that is yet to come. And and we sort of have these unrealistic expectations of God to, to bring it all here and now. And if we don't see healing and if we're not spared from the virus, then, oh, goodness, you know, where has God been? From where I sit, I think we have a good stock of songs about God in the moment, God here with us. What we need are more practices and more sermons and more songs that help us envision new creation and resurrection, the life of the world to come. We need more of that. One of the hypotheses I very gently kind of suggest in this in this new book is that maybe one of the reasons why so many of these songs don't deal with the future is because they're written by people who are enjoying a very comfortable present. 
I mean, and this is, I have to tread carefully because these are, these are my friends <laughs> whom I respect, you know, and I, I am number me among the, the sinners. Glad you're not you know? trying to rock the boat here. <laughs> number me among, you know, number me among the transgressors. I, I, I'm contributing to it too. But I think for many of us, we're writing songs in the comfort of suburbia and we're sitting down at writer's retreats at beautiful mountain or beach locations in Nashville or, or I mean, mountains, Colorado or beaches in Sydney or wherever LA, you know, and, and we're writing these songs that are so beautiful and personal and devotional. And I, that's not to say the songwriters don't have personal hardships, you know, difficulties of health. Or, of course, all of that comes to, to play as well. But compare it for a moment, just for a moment, compare it with the slave spirituals. I, I interact quite a bit with James Cone's work on the spirituals and the blues, where he talks about the, 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 the spirituals can't help but ask for the judge of the earth to come quickly and sort this out, you know, soon and very soon. He's going to come and he's going to make this right. And so we might disagree with the imagery of flying away or going off in the chariot up to the sky. We might disagree. We might quibble with the lack of physicality, but we cannot argue with the fact that these were people who had a very difficult present that were therefore longing for a more secure future. And so my hope is that out of this crisis, maybe we can all have a bit of a reality check and to say, oh, dear God, help us learn to sing and pray and preach about our great and ultimate hope. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if only for this life we have hope, we're to be pitied of all people. So I want our songs to not be pitiful. I want our songs to be powerful because they're pointing to the hope of resurrection and the life of the world to come. I'm curious, Glenn, if you want to speculate or maybe even note your own observations, but just the extent to which the pandemic will end up shaping the worship songs that we sing. I'm curious for your thoughts about if you kind of expect us to see maybe more mainstream songs of lament or sorrow or grief being written and sung out of this, or if you expect ones at least coming out of the U.S. to kind of almost maybe knee-jerk minimize it, right? Or to kind of potentially downplay it a little bit, just knowing how our own American culture tends to be, or at least mainstream American culture tends to react towards hardship sometimes, which is like kind of dismissing it or burying it. I am terrible at predicting the future. <laughs> I I have no idea, but I I you know what's that saying that the the guy at Pixar used to say? You know, the best way to meet the future is to create it, is to make the future. And I I think what I'm hopeful for is that we will create art that is more full bodied out of this, that is more robust. I do think you know lament sometimes has a bit of a stigma in in many of our churches because we think of lament as wallowing in sadness and sort of just all of our complaint or our sorrow. But actually in the Psalms, they're, they're very different than that. Lament is always rooted in the character of God. It's always an appeal to God's previous faithfulness. And it's always it, it, mostly, I mean, there's one or two pretty dark Psalms, but most of the lament Psalms even end with a bit of an anticipation of praise coming. And so there's always this, this lining of hope comes with it. So I, I think we could have some songs like that, that express our sorrow, our grief, our feeling of isolation and loneliness, and yet you know, sort of a yet will I praise kind of moment. So I, I know that art already exists. I know there are wonderful writers that don't sometimes get the 1 million YouTube hits or whatever or, or streams on Spotify, but wonderful artists and writers who are doing that. And it's possible that this will this will begin to work its way into what, you know, what you've rightly called the mainstream of Christian worship stuff. I'm curious about whether you think, you know, again, not trying to Tell tell the future, but I'm just as you see as you see what you see going on in your congregation and these questions about do we shorten the service? How you know do we kind of reorder some of the service? If we think that there's going to be any different, or you're seeing signs there would be any kind of different interplay between you know musical worship and kind of the word read and, and, and preached. I, I see some, but my, my experience is pretty limited to my one congregation where I, you know, we got a lot of Wheaton faculty in, a, in my congregation, all this stuff. So we, you know, we, we overthink everything. Every time you hear, you know, a, a conversation about worship in church, you know, the, <laughs> the thoughtful worship guy in the room always is like, well, you know, worship's not just like the music you sing. And I'm, I'm, feeling like that's actually a conversation that's seeping down into even lay conversations now. Like there is a there is a question about like this whole service is a worship service. I feel like that's coming to roost in a way that maybe uh, six months ago maybe hadn't hadn't quite taken taken root. 
No, that's very true. I mean, one of the practices that we began a few weeks into the pandemic was we have it, we have this little closed fa- or private Facebook group for our New Life Downtown congregation. And we said, well, what if we just hop on there every weekday morning at 8 a.m. and pray the Psalms? You know, you mentioned morning prayer or, you know, earlier, Ted, just reading aloud three, four Psalms and praying them and having people chime in on the comments with their agreements, with their paraphrasing of the of the lines we've just read. And that has been so powerful. In fact, I've had people tell me, you know, actually that morning prayer of praying the Psalms has helped me feel more connected than I ever was even before. It, it is forcing us to think more creatively and even beyond music as powerful, as wonderful as music and singing are. How can we think of, about our gathering uh, that allows us to, what if we said a Psalm together? You know, what if we used some of the wonderful prayers from the Book of Common Prayer and prayed some of these collects together. How are there other ways without, you know, the danger of singing vigorously and ex- what is it, the expulsion of germs uh, through our mouths when we're singing? Are there other ways of doing this that actually help? And, and, and instrumental music. I mean, I think that's another avenue to explore as well. Could we create these moments where you're you're almost guiding people in contemplation where you say let's just sit for a moment and listen and the keyboardist will play or whatever one of the one of the ways we've been enriched as a church that has mostly come from a charismatic evangelical root system is to ha- we've been enriched over the last 10 15 years or so by the contemplative tradition so how can we how can these practices strengthen us together there really is an opportunity for the body of Christ to learn from each other because we have a treasure chest of practices that we can mine from with creativity in this time. I'm going to put you on the spot here. And so again, <laughs> again, we put you on the spot. but I am curious if there's any, if there's been any music either congregationally sung or, you know, recorded that you have found particularly helpful during this COVID-19 period. I love the team that we have here, you know, and there's there's been a year ago or so, one of our worship leaders released an album called Unveil, and there was a song on there called Be Strong, The, the Lord is Soon on His Way, He Will Break Through the Night, just some of the lines in there. And I just, that it is, that is one of the, it is a more um, sort of listening, receiving sort of song. And that's been one that has been a great source of strength. Another one is a song called Sovereign Over Us that Aaron Keyes wrote with Jack Mooring and Michael W. Smith made famous several years ago. Uh, Aaron's now on our team here at the church and we sang it the other night. You know, the few of us in the room for the for the live stream, we're just on our knees and weren't even interested in singing it, but just in listening to it and hearing it, even what the enemy means for evil. You're working for our good and for your glory. Those are a couple songs that have been, that have, have spoken to us for sure. And, and then the blessing, like everyone else, you know, the blessing has been a great <laughs> The blessing song. is really catching on. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Uh, have, uh, is, has there been a Colorado blessing yet? That- you know, people have asked. I just feel like we're a bit of a day late and a dollar short here. You know? <laughs> but I, you know, my kids are. We have four kids, and our older, our older kids are teenagers, and and they're. You know, they sing and play. And first time we watched the video of the UK blessing, we went down to the piano and just started singing it. And I'll tell you, as a dad, singing a song like that with your kids and get to the line about may the blessing of God, you know, be on your children and their children. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, it's totally. emotional. And those are the moments, you know, songs that remind us not only of God's bigness, but also of his nearness, not only of the future hope, but also of his providence that that is bigger than this moment that will go beyond our generation that will go beyond this moment we were praying a psalm this morning i think it was maybe psalm 105 and just saying look our our lives may be like a breath like a flower but this god's faithfulness will go way beyond this moment and that's the stuff that lifts us up that's the stuff that gives us hope Totally. Oh, and, and, you know, the thing about some of those videos, you know, it's funny. We've, we talked as a family here about how much each one of us really loved those videos for a very different reason. I mean, for my, for my wife, it was very much seeing these churches come together that, you know, and a lot of times there would be, you know, ministerial prayer breakfast, or a lot of these pastors would know each other. Even sometimes there might be a, a church event, but to see, you know, a Salvation Army congregation with a, you know, a Baptist church with a, you know, Adventist, whatever, all of them singing together in this, in this mode. She's like, what, well, you know, and, you know, predominantly black congregation. She's like, this is this is, you know, you don't get to see this very often. And here you're seeing it. She's like, yeah, it's, you know, all these YouTube videos, but I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the, uh, the super cut of all, all of these different <laughs> videos. But it'll be, that'll be epic when it happens. Okay. Yeah, somehow my, I missed a viral worship trend, but it pairs. You did. It's you this, did it, you know, it, it, ironically, it feel it's almost like Zoom because it's all these like little, yeah. uh, little heads, you yeah. know, singing this song together. But we yeah. will, uh, Morgan, I'll post a link 
in the in the show notes for you. <laughs> yeah. For me. Which you know what's funny about that? A couple of things. One, so the the UK thing was fun to see a lot of friends on that, and then I had some friends in Malaysia who did it, and they even reflected kind of the language diversity in Malaysia. That's you know where I'm from. Oh, that's great. Where I grew up. So that was really cool. But I'll tell you that the the Zoom lookalike is is misleading because we tried to sing on Zoom early on in one of our uh, lo- digital lobbies. We tried to sing the doxology. It was yeah. a because of the time delay and Ugh. you know. Oh, so. Our church had to do, you know, our church, because of the various changes and different, you know, structures had different, you know, different capacities. But we were able to try to do congregational worship over Facebook Live, over Zoom, and over one other thing. And it was interesting to learn about all these compression technologies, you know. You kind of geek out and you're like, oh, Zoom has this really interesting one where it's impossible to sing together. Like, it, it compresses the per, you know the people who are speaking and then stretches them out so you can't sing together and then when it comes back to the person who was talking together you get these uh words that are just stretched out so long like, or they speak really really fast you're like this you can't even we can't even do responsive readings together very well they're just they're just killer but it, this is part of you know this is part of what we'll remember about worshiping in 2020 and the sometimes those road bumps are what you kind of you know we'll be grateful for the simplicity of responsive readings in the future exactly we'll never take it for granted again you know well thank you everyone for this just lovely discussion i wanted to add one thing which is that i've always just loved how participatory singing can be sometimes just having one person speak at a time does not feel right for that moment. And you want something that can acknowledge that everyone is feeling something. And that is what I like most about singing is that it is definitely something that, yeah, acknowledges feelings and emotion in a space and doesn't attempt to intellectualize or try to make sense in a way that can feel like callous. Singing, in my experience, almost always is a good way to kind of like actually read the room and kind of both fill it with emotion and absorb emotion at the same time. That's why it is one of those things where it's like, this is so cruel that this happens during such a hard time already because you want something like that when we cannot actually, in many ways, do a lot of things to combat this. So if you're feeling sad about singing or have other emotions, feel free to send us an email. We're at podcast at christianitytoday.com. We are also on Twitter at CT Podcasts. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, where we ask everyone to share something that has recently brought them joy. Ted, I feel like you probably hinted at yours before this started because you said you had a great weekend. And I know you also just had a nice moment before you came to record the show. What do you want to share? I'm not going to share any of that just because it's so repetitive of my walks around the block and my board gaming with my kids' family. We are now multiple episodes, multiple episodes into Scythe, the uh, campaign. Which has bonded you to some listeners, right? Yeah. <laughs> several people were like, hey, that episode on the history of lynchings was really great. What was that board game you mentioned at the end? I was like, oh yeah, there's a, a disturbing juxtaposition there. But yes, Scythe, S-C-Y-T-H-E is my favorite board game of all time. We talked in this podcast about future hope, which is ultimately found in God. But because of when our podcast goes out and all of these things, I'm actually going to mention something. My precious moment is forward-looking, and that is on Wednesday afternoon. I'm really looking forward to the SpaceX launch of astronauts to the International Space Station. It will be the first time a private company has taken NASA astronauts into space. It is the first time in a very long time that American astronauts have left from America. You know, there's all sorts of weird politics with and disturbing financial things with space travel, manned space travel these days. But I like to put that aside and be like, going into space is amazing. And the International Space Station is just an amazing human thing that we have done. Uh, I love watching launches, and there's just something special about launches, manned launches coming back to the U.S. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to watch that. I, I will be I will be reserving some time to to watch that. Watch that. Well, uh, let your time. colleagues know when it is, too. I will. It'll be after our editorial meeting, so we'll, maybe we could watch it together. I'd love that. All right. And people can find you on Twitter. I am on Twitter at Ted Olson. That's Olson with an E. Lovely. Glenn, do you want to go? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, a, a moment that has brought me joy. 
my kids just, you know, they finished school and we, we are normally a homeschooling family anyway. So it wasn't too disruptive in our household, except that we're all here all the time together. As they finished all their stuff and it's now full on summer, my wife made a reading challenge for each of them. And our younger two have not been as keen, shall we say, to, <laughs> to uh, sit down and read. They're much more active. Came down the other morning and both of them were sitting quietly at the kitchen counter reading a book because it was, they wanted to earn this reward for their summer reading challenge. So that, <laughs> that was really, that was really sweet and really beautiful. But we've had lots of great moments of board games. And, you know, I mentioned singing together with our older girls and cooking together. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. A lot of family walks around the neighborhood. Anytime there's a little bit of weather that rolls in, like we had this weekend, it was rain down here, but snow up mountains and then the sky is clear the next day i'm looking out now at the snow covered pikes peak against a backdrop of blue sky and that just makes me happy oh man i am jealous i was supposed to go out <laughs> go out there this spring and conference got canceled so what are you gonna do yeah you'll have to look at pikes peak for the both of us there that's right that's right all right. Glenn, do you want to tell people where can people can find you outside of this podcast? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at gpacium, G-P-A-C-K-I-A-M. Also on glennpacium.com. Glenn is with two N's. Great. Well, like I mentioned at the top of the show, this was a great weekend just to spend outside. It was extremely warm in Illinois, and I so I just did everything outside you can do. On Saturday, I biked to Indiana, which was fun and wow. cool to be from there. Your, from your house? Yes. Wow. I'm impressed. Yeah, it was nice. It was, We did a lot of like just random, I don't know, this is a cool thing in Chicago along the way stops in Indiana. They also have some nice things that they've done along some of the lakes there, rivers, lakes. They're not really rivers, ponds or lakes. I don't know, but they're great. And then on Sunday, I went to Buffalo State Park. Have you been there, Ted? I don't know that I have. It's next to Starved Rock. Which for, oh, I have. Buffalo. Yes, I have. It's lovely. There's real buffalo there. Yeah, there is. There were two buffalo and there was a calf. And was so, it open? Because I thought yes. the state parks don't open until this week. No, no. Starved Rock is not open, but buffalo is open. Oh, that's great. So they had some, I don't know what to call them, rock things, rock formations that I climbed on, which was also fun. Yes, and Glenn, then, out here in Illinois, we have to make do with uh, basically rocks. <laughs> for I'm, rocks I'm trying to refrain mounds, from my laughter here. Inclines. I'm trying to think of the other <laughs> Speed bumps. A good speed bump will get us excited around here. Maybe a freeway overpass if you need to train for <laughs> yeah, those. There you go. And then yesterday, I was like, I'm going to really up my running. So I ran 11 miles yesterday, which is the most that I've run oh in goodness. years. Also, it was the worst day of the weekend to run it because yeah, it was so it was hot outside. 90 and humid, so yeah. It was terrible, but I was also proud of myself. Yeah, you should that. be. You should be. This is like the wow Morgan part of the show. Thank you. Exactly. My st- No, not at all. But I, I was just so happy. Really so good. nice outside. I just like did tons of walking and oh, I felt so happy afterwards. People can find me on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. That's it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindor. The transcript is made available by Boomi Ashola. The music is by Sweeps. If you want to support the podcast, become a subscriber to Christianity Today magazine. And you can do that by going to orderct.com slash podcast. Please also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And send us email. We like to get email from you. And it's been a while. We haven't, we haven't gotten feedback from you for a few episodes so we want to hear email us podcast at christianitytoday.com podcast with an s all right we will see you all next week Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.